Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I want to just give you a couple quick announcements before we get started. Uh, one is we are doing our part of a, a church coalition that's building a house for Habitat for Humanity here in Culver City. Um, and Derek has a sign-up sheet in the back. If you would like to purchase, Ellie, you gotta, um, can you put that up for me? There you go. There's some t-shirts that if you would like to purchase a t-shirt so that when you go out there, people are like, oh, they're part of us. Um, there's, they're $15 now because it's as a pre-order, but later on, everyone will be wearing them and you'll want them and then they're going to be $20 and she'll be like, I should have got it now. So if you want one, put your name back there. You can make out the check to Soma and we'll just write a check together um, for all those things. Um, also, last week we talked about um, how in each one of our missional communities, uh, God has given us a mission and given us a people group that he's calling us to, to identify with. We want to, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the podcast because each uh, group got to share a little vision of what God is calling them into in this next year. So we want to encourage you to think through that and, and where maybe God would plug you into. Um, also, if you're in that process and you're like, oh, I would really like to lead in the future, um, Brad is actually, Brad right here with the cool walrus hat on, um, is going to start a training for, uh, for new leaders. This will be October 8th through 29th, so just uh, one month um, from 2 to 4 at his home. And so if you're interested in that, go see Brad or see myself and we'll get you connected with that. One last um, announcement is next week is Celebration Sunday. What's up, man? It's good to see you. Um, um, and so we are going to continue to to share uh, evidence. Yeah, you in the red shirt there. Yeah, um, I don't remember your name. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, he only went skiing with us for a week. Um, anyway, um, we're going to share some evidences of God's grace, um, and and we're going to continue to do that. Next week is also the ladies' retreat, and so in light of that, um, this is not a slight on men. Um, but actually something to actually, uh, that, that they're an apt or anything in any way, but more of a practical family decision with like 35 or 40% of our population being gone or being a single parent home that weekend. And so the combined, combined capacity of us as a family is not as strong. And so we're not going to have a meal afterwards, but we will do everything else that we usually do during um, Celebration Sunday, and we encourage you men that are here to like grab others and go out to eat if you have the ability or capacity to do that as well. And so, um, so yeah, that's next week. Um, so let me pray, and then um, we'll get started into what God has for us today. Our Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that um, you are for us. We thank you that you give us your word, and through your spirit, you teach us. Father, we ask that your spirit would, um, would fall on this place and that you would open up our minds and our hearts and our ears to hear and to understand what you want us to teach us today. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm excited that we're going to start a new series today. Um, it's been a series that I've been thinking about or plugging for a while as we've been um, talking about sermon series for the last couple years. I'm like, we should do the minor prophets. Um, and then, then it just kind of never worked out. Um, and so we're going to do the minor prophets. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Um, and each week and from now until Christmas, 
um, we'll do one of the minor prophets, so the last 12 books of the Old Testament. Really God's final words to his people leading up to, to 400 years of silence and, and not talking and not speaking until Jesus the Messiah comes on the scene and is born in Bethlehem. And so one other announcement, there's these little papers back there. We've designed actually a reading series to go, a reading plan to go along with this series. And so if you want to grab them, they're in the back. There's some four questions to think through as you read. Um, and so we're going to ask you to read along, and, and we want to encourage you to do that, um, to read and to meditate on God's Word throughout the week of what we're going to be talking through. As we're, as we're kind of scattered throughout the city throughout the week, we want, we want to come back together and that God would use those reading times and those meditation times on His Word to empower our dialogue and to disciple us in the ways that, that He wants to teach us through these things. And that, that really, too, that we would get to experience the anticipation that the same people did back then as they wait the the advent season as they wait the messiah coming as we come into the season and so how we've actually worked it out is these last prophets will go right into advent and it'll work out really cool i think um and so we're gonna do the minor prophets and so as we say minor prophets please don't hear that their message was minor or that it wasn't important as a as a major prophet Really, the distinction between minor prophet and major prophet is really the length of a book. So like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they take 50 to 60 chapters to to say what they're going to say. These guys do it in like 1 to 14 chapters. You can kind of say maybe they're like the short-winded preachers of the day, right? These are guys who, who boldly and quickly get to the point of what it looks like to live outside of God's ways and what's the result of sin in your life and the idolatry that that produces in, 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 and how that plays out in life. And so they, they get to the point quickly. These, these prophets are, are the voice of God. They're, they're the voice of God to teach us many things about the characteristics of God. That's really the main point, that they're, they're teaching us about the characteristic of God, that although man is really due righteous punishment from a holy God, yet God is merciful and he promises to bring restoration and brokenness um, out of the brokenness caused by man. And so today I, I want to start by looking at the book of Hosea. So you have that, you can open there. And Hosea, I'd say, is probably um, the second greatest story in the entire Bible. Probably the second greatest story in the entire Bible, and yet it's one that is rarely told. We don't like to stand around and talk about Hosea often. Hosea was a prophet during the 8th century, and we know this by looking at the people and kings that he references here in verse 1 in his writing. So Hosea 1.1 says this, and just so you know, we're not going to read the entire book today because we don't have time for that. Um, That's why you have these fancy-dancy reading plants. Um, So Hosea 1 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham. Man, my words are not working today. Ahaz and Hezekiah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So if you look at these kings and you look back in history, we'll see that these kings were on the throne um, and it indicates when Hosea was. It was basically in the middle of the 8th century. So around 755 to 715 BC. And this would have also made him a contemporary with guys like Isaiah and Micah. And so 
as we look at that time of history in Israel, we know that that, that time of history, there, the nation was actually split into two pieces. Basically, because of infighting, there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, or, or Israel and Judah. And Hosea most likely lived in the northern kingdom because of the names of his children um, who carry specific messages um, and, and really the major themes that he talks about. Kind of, we, can, we can deduct that he lived probably in the northern kingdom, but his message is for the entire nation of Israel and for us. And so God chooses Hosea, whose name means salvation, um, to reveal himself to, to his people really through, through a powerful story uh, in, within Hosea's own marriage. And Hosea's marriage and his life proclaims really these parallel messages of the relationship between God and his people and how his people are acting and how God interacts. And it's this, this really, this amazing story that I would say Hollywood would never be able to dream up and probably would never even try to sell because it's too, almost too unbelievable. It's almost too unbelievable. And so we have this, we have this story, and the story begins, and we find Hosea, who is a, who's a preacher, prophet, um, and he's living in a time when, when no one wants to hear anything about God. The nation of Israel, God's people, um, had stopped worshiping God and are worshiping Baal. Baal, you've probably seen him all throughout the, the Old Testament. Um, Baal is the, is the bull god who, who they believed um, was in control of the weather, the wind, and the rain. Um, they also believed basically that he was in control of fertility in all areas of life. And so God's people were worshiping Baal, thinking that, that he was the one that's going to produce the fertile soil for their crops and fertile wombs for their families. And in worship of Baal, they would, they would, um, they would sacrifice um, things like animals or, or their food, and sometimes even children. Usually, usually probably girls who, who are not as valued were sacrificed or were, or were given away to the temples uh, or to the priests in hope that future fertility would come to their families. And so many of these temples also had, had prostitutes who would perform sexual rituals um, for fertility, right? And they would call this divine marriage, right? And, and so this, it's kind of, if you can think about it, it's, a, it's basically like the worst type of, of idol worship you can think of when you, that, the word idol comes to mind, of people bowing down to this thing that they made and all kinds of craziness happening all around. And so the culture and the people that Hosea is called to, this is the people that he's on mission to. You can say it that way, right? Like, probably not the easiest audience. And so Hosea is living during this time, and we find out also that, that Hosea is actually a single guy. He's a bachelor, and he's living in a culture um, where, where not only that's going on, but where being a part of a family and having children really defined who you are as a person. So we're not sure exactly how old Hosea was, but if we can kind of look by the length of his ministry and his life and his story, he was probably a younger man, probably somewhere in his 30s, and, and probably had many similar desires as, as younger men to, to find a spouse who would love him and who would support him and, and serve whatever God called them into together. And we're not told, but maybe he already has an eye on someone. We don't know that, but, but we see Hosea here. Is a, I'm guessing he does, right? He, right? Like, why wouldn't he? Right? All these cool Israelite women walking around. He's probably got one on mine, right? I would, right? 
So I'm thinking like Hosea. So right? So anyway, Hosea is a single guy and he's trying to speak into God's ways and he's living in a time where there's this, his face is like right in the face of idolatry all the time. And God comes to him and he speaks to him and he tells him, you're going to get married. Oh, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Take a look at verse 2. Verse 2. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take your wife, go take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land can, commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Wait, what did, what did God say there? Marry who? Like, go marry a prostitute? Like, talk about missionary dating. That cannot be right. Like, this is not the message that, like, he wanted to hear. It sounds much more like like a sick joke than really a divine commission from God. And I, I know prophets don't have it easy, right? But, but this is really a nightmare assignment. This is not something that just happened to him where unknowingly his wife cheats on him. God is telling him to, to knowingly walk into the emotional pain of a marriage and an unfaithful spouse. That's what God calls Hosea to do. And so what does Hosea do? He gets up and he marries Gomer, the daughter of Diblam. I'm just, I think that's how you say it. But this is really the first time we see her in the story. But by the way that her name comes up in the story, it just appears she must have been well known as a woman in this profession. We can, I can't say this for sure, but I, I imagine um, that she maybe was one of the temple prostitutes. Because I think this would really demonstrate the parallels of the nation running after and prostituting themselves with another God. But either way, Hosea obeys God despite his own preferences and, and what, it, what the talk will be around town and, and how this is going to make him look. And, and he, probably, he goes out and I'm sure he finds her father and he pays the, the customary dowry for, 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 for a wife, which I'm sure was probably a pretty high price because she was probably making a lot of money for the family. And he marries Gomer the prostitute. And so Hosea brings her home and, and what amazingly is that he doesn't just marry her and he doesn't just like provide shelter for her. He deeply cares for her. And, and scripture says that he treats her as an innocent bride. That she, that like none of the stuff in the past mattered. That he treats her as an innocent bride in his home. And sometime later they have a son and then they have a daughter and then they have another son. And he really, uh, he gives her and God gives her the dream of every woman in that culture to be cared for and to have children. Having children really in that culture gave you worth and gave you identity. Um, In that culture we see in scripture all the time other, other women like Sarah and Rachel and Hannah and many other women desperately asking God to provide children for them, to have a child of their own. It's a culture where, where so much value was placed on a woman's ability to have children. And it's a huge pain point here in the brokenness of many women then and I would still say is a brokenness now that's resulted from the fall. And I, I want to say as we think through that, I know that that saddens the heart of many of you because I've walked through those things with you guys and I know that God mourns those things as well because he tells us that he does. And he mourns the brokenness that comes from the fall and, and the brokenness that even affects the womb 
of women. And so Gomer is, is, is graciously given this, 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 this loving husband and graciously given three children by God. And you would think that she would live in that and she would bask in the love and the grace and she would walk off into the sunset and the, the credits would roll, you know, especially after the life that she's come from. But you would be wrong. Because the story is only half over. What happens next is really the twist in this plot is Gomer leaves. And she's been, she leaves everything she's been given and she returns to the life on the streets as a prostitute. She runs off and starts sleeping with and willingly accepts abuse from all kinds of men. And I can only imagine the heartbreak of Hosea's heart. Not only for himself, but but also for his children. Their mom is gone. What does he say to them? He's a single dad now, a betrayed husband, uh, really a, a bewildered preacher. And surely this must be where God lets him step away, where God lets lets his judgment be demonstrated. Hosea is free, right? He can go get a divorce. Like sin has ended the marriage once and for all. She has committed adultery. Hosea is free, right? But that's not what happens. God tells Hosea to do the unthinkable thing again. God tells him to go and redeem and buy back his wife. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. This is Hosea. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechen of barley. And I said to her, you must not dwell as, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be to you. And so Hosea comes to her and he says to her, I will be faithful to you regardless of your unfaithfulness. You see, she had been unfaithful all along. And now she's finally gone off again with another man. By law, Hosea could have had her stoned and killed. Could have been wiped off of the planet. But God commands him to love her. Verse, verse 1 says, go again and love her. Not just go get her. Not just go bring her back into your home and live with her, you know, kind of in contempt, holding it over her head. Love her. Deeply care for her. And on top of that, be willing to pay the significant other for her. If that's not only like almost an emotional impossibility to love her, Hosea now has to pay out of his own pocket for her. Pay for a wife. And and we can see here, like, he probably couldn't afford it. If he would have, he probably would have paid all cash. But he couldn't. We see in verse 2, he gets together all the money he has, 15 shekels, and it isn't enough. And so, so he goes back to his pantry, and he brings back a homer and a lechen of barley. Really the equivalent of nine bushels of wheat, basically. You can say 540 pounds of wheat flour. That's a lot of flour. Most likely, I'm guessing, that's probably the family's food for the entire year. 
Basically, everything he has, all the money he has, and all the food he has, he gets together, and he goes and pays for her, and he pays the amount that Exodus 21.32 says, what a female slave cost. He pays half in cash, and he pays half in barley to buy back and to redeem his wife. And I think as we, as we hear this story, and I think if we're honest, as we hear this story, we hear the story of Hosea and, and of Gomer, and we think about the parallels between God and the idolatry of his people worshiping Baal, it's easy to connect with Hosea and with God. Right? It's easy for us to kind of to, to put it, our place in there and look down in disbelief over the actions of Gomer. But what we don't realize is that very quickly that this story is our story as well. We think we're just bystanders looking in, looking at this story from afar, reading it thousands of years later. Yet the reality is that you and I are Gomar. We are, we are God's people who run after other things, that bow down and serve other things that we think will be our provider that will bring whatever type of fertility we want into our own lives. As you guys think about that, you know, Daniel shared this morning that he runs after comfort. What are some things in your own life that you run after thinking that they're going to provide for you or they're going to bring you some type of fertility in your life? What are some things you guys run after? If you're new with us, you get to talk. Um, Yeah. What are some things? Nobody does it. <laughs> Career. Yeah, for sure. We think that if I just get the right job, then I'll have everything that I want, and then that will, that will play out in life. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, financial stability is really the, the, the provision rather than God giving us those things that we're just stewards of his money. Yeah, good. What else? Okay, yeah. If I have the right relationships and friends, then I'll, then I'll be provided for emotionally in all of those things. Yeah. Or the right spouse or whatever that may be. Yeah, good. Self-worth and pride. Yeah, you run after your own self-worth. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. What else? Affirmation. Affirmation from other people. Yeah, if they just said this about me or, or they, they appreciated me, then I would feel okay. Yeah, then I would be provided for. Yeah, John. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's good. What else? I think experience. Like if I want to see things or do things, more, more that I can do, the more that I can see. Is, uh, like an idol yeah, if I can make this money over here, then it would provide for me so that I can go do the other things that I want and have all of those experiences in my life. Yeah, good. Yeah. As you guys think through this, what are, what are some indicators in your life that, that maybe we're, we're worshiping something other than God? What might be an indicator in your life of that? Anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah. Often, right? If this, if this thing doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to, then I'm going to freak out. Yeah. Thinking that we're the ones that's providing. Yeah, good. What else? 
Yeah, anger disproportioned to the situation. Angry that it didn't work out that way, or like angry that like somebody else didn't do it the way you were supposed to do it, or you would have done it. Yeah, good. What else? Lack of peace. Yeah, walking around without living in peace or in rest. Yeah, good. What other? Sorrow. Yeah. A lack of joy. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. If what I run to, I get what I want, and then you feel like you just didn't realize that that was right. Yeah, emptiness in our lives. Yeah, good. We're running after something that's not going to provide what we need. Yeah, good. What else? What are some other indicators? Money and time. Money and time. Yeah, if that money and time is there, then I feel secure and safe. But when that money's gone, like, then I'm, I'm all worried about life. Yeah. Frustration. Frustration. Yeah, good. Yeah, frustration and anger go together in those things. Yeah, I'm frustrated that this is not working out the way that, that I thought it would be and how it would provide for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there's often many indicators in our life and we run after way more things than we vocalize or that we probably even imagine. If we go back and look at chapter 2, starting at verse 14, but what you see in chapter 2 is this, this amazing love song of how God pursues his people and how Hosea pursues his wife. We don't have time to read all of it, but I want to I look at verse 14 and, and look at what verse 14 says. Um, it says, Behold, I will lure her, allure her in and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. You see, we are, if we're all guilty of, of, of being the harlot, that we've all loved other lovers other than God or more than God, we've, we've basically, we've gotten our kicks somewhere else. God, I would say, has been at times an annoying deity to us. We think we're, we think we're, we're better at being God. We think we can decide who and what to follow. I'd say we, like Gomer, have been enslaved to the world's pleasures and the world's ambitions and the world's Isaiah, I, I, Isaiah I, ideas. But what we see here is God has not cast them off and he has not cast us off. But he promises to take us into the wilderness. He wants to be alone with us. Why? So that he can speak tenderly to us. Literally, the Hebrew word here says it speaks to her heart. And when he speaks, he'll, he'll draw us back to himself and he, he will entice you and he will woo you. He said, he'll basically, he'll say what, what a lover says to, to his lady as they walk away from a party and as they go home. God wants to talk that way with you. He wants to call you into the wilderness to hear from his heart and to listen, not just with your ears or with your mind, but with your heart. Please understand that, that you are not too ugly or too rotten or too far broken. He knows that his wife is a harlot and yet he's still lovingly pursuing. That's really the, the reality. That's it's really the meaning of mercy. Is, is God wooing the heart or a wife that is a harlot? You see, when, when, like, when like Gomer, we're all enslaved, but yet God brought us back. When Hosea goes out and he gets Hosea, he brings Gomer back, he redeems her with all that he has. Fifteen shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. But when God goes and redeems us, 
He pays the ultimate price with the blood of his son. That's what redemption means. It means to buy back. And we have this image that, that you and I are like Gomer. We're a slave in a slave market for sale. We're standing there naked on the block for everyone to see and to use for whatever purposes they want for to do. And any master can come in and buy you. And Jesus walks through the slave market and he says, I'm going to take that one and I'm going to take that one and I'm going to take that one and I'm going to take that one. And who and you, who are you and I enslaved to? We're enslaved to sin and to Satan. Uh, Ephesians 2 says it this way. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you look at John 8, it says, Satan is your daddy. That's who you belong to. And Jesus walks through the slave market and he says, I'm going to take that one, and I'm going to take that one, and I'm going to take that one. And Satan says, okay, how are you going to pay for that? And Jesus says, with my own life and with my own blood. And Jesus paid for you and bought you out of the slave market. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't just pay for you and set you free. You didn't just go from slavery to freedom to figure out your life on your own. You went from being a slave to actually being part of the family. Just like, like, like Hosea brings Gomer home and loves her and makes, him, makes her his wife. That is what's happened to you if you know Jesus. You went from being a slave to Satan to actually God bringing you into his home and wooing your heart and making you part of his family again. You see, if we look at the story, in no way did Gomer deserve redemption. Her behavior did not merit any type of mercy. She deserved the opposite. She deserved to be stoned. Israel, God's people, they didn't deserve God's faithful betrothal. They deserved judgment. Their unfaithfulness did not merit such mercy. You and I do not deserve redemption. Our sin does not merit mercy. What we have earned is judgment. It's not because we deserve mercy or that we've done anything to earn it. It's only because God is merciful to us. You see, when you think a moment on what God asked Hosea to do here, I think you get just a small glimpse into what God's love is for us and what really what our wretchedness is like compared to his holiness. You see, I think most Christians would never dream of marrying a prostitute or a pimp. I think that's not first on your list. But in God's eyes, everyone who forsakes him is a whore. There are no religious singles in God's eyes. Everyone is either faithfully married to God or is a prostitute. There's no in-between. And I want to say God has made you for himself. For you to find your enjoyment and your satisfaction in him. And if you find it anywhere else, even if it's a good thing, you've committed adultery and harlotry against God. And that was Israel's condition. 
And so God takes Hosea, whose name means salvation, and says, as it were, like, before I give you a word of judgment and grace, I'm going to tangibly teach you what it's like to be married to an unfaithful wife. Go and marry a prostitute. And Hosea obeys, and he has a son, and his marriage is, is acted out this parable of God's relation to Israel and to his people. And we see Hosea live in mercy with his wife despite her unfaithfulness. It's a crazy story. And I think as we, as we think through this, we have to ask, how could Hosea do this? How could he, how could he extend mercy? It seems almost impossible. And I would tell you, it is. And you would be right. It is impossible to extend mercy like this apart from God. This type of mercy only comes from a heart that has felt its own spiritual bankruptcy. A heart that has seen its own adultery. A heart that has come to grief over its own sin. A heart that, that has learned to, to wait meekly for the timing of the Lord and to, and to cry out in hunger for God to work in His mercy in our, my own life. The mercy that God blesses us with is the blessing of God Himself. And as God becomes your lover and it grows up as the fruit of mercy for others. See, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other only comes from God's mercy to us. You see, the key to being a merciful person that images God's mercy is to become a broken person, a person in need. Not not a person that in pride thinks they deserve a position or is due some recognition because they've lived a good life. The only the only, you only get the power to show mercy is from a real understanding that your heart is completely idolatrous and that you owe everything you have and everything you are to divine mercy. I think Jesus understands this. Jesus gets this. I don't think I know he does. Um, in Matthew 9.13, um, he's, he's getting questioned by, by the religious leaders of the day. And they, they would say, they said to him, why, why are you stooping to eat with the sinners, knowing that, that eating with someone in that culture meant that you were associating with them, that you were, you were identifying with them. Who you ate with revealed who you were for, who you loved. And, and I would say that's still the case today. Who we eat with says a lot about who we love and who, and who we want to be with. And so the leaders come to him and they say, why would you associate with this lowly group? And what does Jesus do? He quotes actually from Hosea 6.6. 6. And he says to them this. He says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, God is quoting from Hosea here and saying, I am not after your sacrifices. I'm not after your hard work or your religious activities. I'm after your heart. And I'm wooing your heart and and heart of mercy, not just acts of mercy. He doesn't want people who, who would do their religious duties in just a, just a merely formal or perfunctionary way. He's looking for hearts that truly understand the mercy that they have been given. 
It's why Jesus gives us the, the story of the prodigal son, where the younger son runs off. You remember the story, right? And, and he runs off, and, and what happens to him? He becomes a slave. And he, and he decides he wants to go home because he says, I'm going to trade my slave masters. He says, the son says, my, my dad would be a better slave master than the one I currently have because I, I know my dad has a kind heart. And so he comes home to ask his dad if he can be one of his slaves. But the father would have none of that. And he takes the son in and he, he says, I'm not going to let you be a slave. I'm not going to be a better taskmaster for you. I'm gonna, I'm, and I'm not going to just like set you free and let you be neutral. He says, no, you are going to be my son. Here's a, here's a fattened calf. Here's a ring. And we're going to throw a party. Come and live out of my mercy. The reality is that's the whole story of the Bible. Where God enters the slave market. Where you and I are putting ourselves up for auction. Prostituting ourselves against humanity for, for a lesser life. And on the cross, Jesus pays the full price for your freedom and mine. And he, he, he bought us back, not just so that we, wouldn't, that we would be slaves to him, but actually innocent children in his family with the full rights to everything that he has in his home. It's the greatest love story ever told. And through the story of Hosea, God is tenderly whispering, come home. My love sets you free. He's saying, get rid of whatever you're striving for. When you, get, when you get tired of striving, when you get tired of wandering, I will be there to draw you to myself and to remind you again that you are mine in Christ. Even though you are faithless, I will remain faithful. If you're enslaved, I will buy you back. If you are lost, I will find you. If you're ashamed, I will cover you up. If you wander off, I will bring you home. If, if, if you give up, I will not give up on you. No matter where you are, God sees who you are and he loves you and he's calling you out of the slave market and into his home. And that is amazing. That is amazing mercy. If you've never trusted Jesus, that is what he's offering you. It doesn't matter what circumstances or what a wreck your life may be or however nightmare-ish your circumstance may be. Jesus is ready to embrace you today. His righteousness is ready to clothe you. He is wooing you to himself knowing that you and I have the heart of a harlot. And he's offering hope in all areas of your life where you're running after futility that you will never find. And as we close today, I, I just want to close with a reading from Hosea 2. And I'm going to ask you, if you would just close your eyes and listen to God whispering hope and mercy and love into your heart. Because this is, this is where God sings a love song through Hosea to his people as Hosea talks to his wife. And listen in your own heart as God's speaking to you. Hosea 2, starting at verse 15. You can read this later. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of anchor a door of hope. The valley of anchor is where Israel was first unfaithful to the Lord 
in the promised land. But now God is promising that anchor will no longer be a valley of trouble, but a door of hope. Verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the name of Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the fields and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things around the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you in, my, in faithfulness and you shall know that I am the Lord. That's what God is saying to you, his people today. That despite your unfaithfulness, he continues to love and brings mercy and continues to call us back into his home. Our Father, we thank you that we get to start over despite our unfaithfulness. Thank you that you are the perfect spouse, that we get to experience new relationship, a relationship of righteousness and of justice and steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness with you. Thank you that you heal us and that you set us, you set us free. That you don't just set us free to be by ourselves, but that you call us into your home to where we get to come and have intimate relationship with you. And that you provide everything that we need and everything that we are running after others to find. Father, I pray that this story of Hosea would burn deep in our hearts that we would be reminded often that we are people of great need. That you remind us of who we are and what you have done for us. And Father, that we would live out of that mercy and out of that grace, not out of duty trying to earn anything, but out of the great love and mercy that you have given to us. So Father, I thank you that we get to live this life and that we get to have you as a dad. We pray as we go to communion that you would remind us of that great sacrifice that you have made to buy us back and to redeem us into your home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.